Eleanor without a bar. Welcome to 3PNR. I'm your host, Adamar, and joining me for this episode is Ray Hernandez. Ray, how you doing, sir? Excellent. How about you? I'm doing well, Ray. Here, oh, I'm in Florida, so it's rainy now. It'll be sunny tomorrow again, and then it'll be miserably hot and then really cold again. It's really <laughs> a strange state we well, live in. I, I lived in Miami for 18 years, so I certainly know about it. Yeah, the bipolar weather here. So, Ray, I was telling you in a, before podcast with you, uh, I had to... I had to, it's, it was like going back to college. I had to sit down and just learn a bunch of stuff. It was very enlightening. Well, it's it's academic research, and not, and that's something that uh, usually not associated with either the paranormal or ufology. Right. And so, before we, uh, here's how I'd like to do it. I'll ask this: is I did I did notice and I did read and, and hear it in the interviews. You started this adventure as an atheist which I hear a lot of that, especially from academics and scientists. I hear it a lot. So that being said, what put you on the path in ufology and, and paranormal and, and the parallels in between? Well, um, my background is uh, as an academic. I went to uh, Berkeley for a PhD. I went to Cornell for a master's. And then I was a university professor for seven years. And then I eventually became an attorney. And um, so I was never exposed to any of these topics. I never had any interest uh, nor desire. And um, and I would have thought that everyone that was interested in these topics was a kook. And then in 2012, I had a, an experience in my living room where um, our 15-year-old Jack Russell uh, Terrier became, uh, uh, became very ill and she... Um, was, uh, uh, I guess the term that is used is um, uh, paralyzed, completely paralyzed. And so we, were, we called our vet and made plans to euthanize her the next day in the afternoon. And my wife began to pray all night. And uh, that morning, uh, this energy being appeared to my wife and I, made her disappear, the dog disappeared right in front of me, it put me to sleep, and then an hour later when I woke up, our dog was running around the, the living room, completely healed. Hmm. And then after that experience, my wife began to um, pray at night outside, and 15 minutes later, there were these huge UFOs that appeared. And that's when I realized that this was UFO-related, not paranormal-related. And then um, six months after that initial experience, that was in March of 2012, um, I uh, tried to call down my first UFO, and within 15 minutes, it appeared. And then it started four years of nonstop paranormal experiences for me. Huh. Yeah, I can see how that would have a very profound effect on you. Yes, yes, most, most definitely. It's, you know, it's because there's another person, a scientist uh, I'd spoken to. I do a lot of off-podcast interviews, and the majority of the scientists I speak, uh, speak with, they don't, they don't elect to come on a show. They don't want any kind of, you know, public image. So the one gentleman, uh, his, it, it turns out it was his, his uh, grandson really believed in ufology, and he wanted to disprove this. So he ends up going to the field to do a little research, and whatever happened, it, it, it completely turned him around. 
Like he went from a very scientific perspective to almost almost spiritual in nature by what he witnessed. And so much so, it compelled him to do a very long-term study on this, which when he is done with the study, and I hope when he listens, I want him on the show because I'm dying to hear his research. But for you, the same thing. So you come from a, you know, a, your credentials speak professionalism across the board. And you come from an atheist background and you have this experience. And, and so that effect on you then entails you to get into the world and do more research, right? Well, what had happened is uh, I did what is called an academic literature review uh, on the uh, UFO contact phenomenon. And what I discovered was that there was almost nothing that was uh, published academically on that. And so um, within a few months of me uh, having these experiences, um, I was put in contact with... uh, Dr. Edgar Mitchell, uh, the sixth man to walk on the moon, the founder of the Institute for Noetic Sciences, very well-known individual. I'm sure you know his background. Yeah. And, um, and Dr. Rudy Shields, who is an emeritus professor of astrophysics at Harvard University, and also Mary Rodwell, which is um, uh, a non-academic researcher of the UFO contact phenomenon. And then um, the four of us founded this organization, which later came to be known as the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation. And then uh, we agreed to do a comprehensive um, academic research study on the UFO contact phenomenon. And it would be a statistical research study, both quantitative and qualitative surveys. And so uh, over the next uh, two months, uh, we brought in various uh, academics. Most of them were retired PhD academics and researchers, people like Kathleen Martin. I'm sure you, you know who she is. Yeah, I've had her um, on the show. Yep, people like Leo Sprinkle, uh, Dr. Leo Sprinkle, who's now deceased. Um, he was the first academic to ever write an, an article on the abduction phenomenon. And then we had people like Barbara Lamb. We had people like Rosemary Allen Guiley who is researching the paranormal for over 30 years and has written over, wrote uh, over 60 books. She's also deceased. Uh, we uh, brought in uh, a PhD statistician, Dr. Russell Scalpone, a PhD neuroscientist, Dr. Bob Davis, a, a PhD psychologist who had been um, uh, teaching classes on academic research uh, to PhD students and also um, published several books on the paranormal. His name is Dr. John Klimo and numerous other individuals of this type of caliber. And so for the next five years, we undertook the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Experiential Research Study, um, which was comprised of um, three surveys. Two of them were quantitative, uh, comprised of 660 questions. And then the the qualitative research instrument was 70 open-ended questions. And we wound up with responses from more than 300, excuse me, 4,350 individuals that have both seen a UFO and have had some type of contact with a non-human intelligence. And those 4,350 individuals came from over 125 different countries. And that was just for English language survey. We also conducted the survey in four other languages. The second um, highest uh, number of 
respondents was to our Spanish language survey. For the Spanish survey, we had 1,200 individuals that took our surveys. And um, after we we published it for about three, three and a half years, and after uh, those three and a half years, we began, the, the academics began to crunch out the numbers. And what we found out with the analysis of the data was that our research findings um, pretty much contradict what's circulating in ufology. And I could go over these topic areas so you and your audience members uh, can understand what the data revealed. Um, but this, uh, this information, this data, the, the researchers, the UFO contact researchers in our group, people like, as I said before, Mary Rodwell, Kathleen Martin, Rosemary Allen Guiley, Dr. Leo Sprinkle, uh, Barbara Lamb, and like three or four other uh, abduction researchers, uh, they, they, they knew what we were going to get because they had been working with thousands of, of experiencers for over 30 years, the vast majority of them. They just uh, weren't able to quantify it because they didn't have the statistical data. But now that we had the data, then they said, yep, you know, the, the data that you guys got is exactly what I would have expected. And so, um, and then we wound up publishing our data in uh, an 820-page book. It weighs three and a half pounds. Oh. And, and the title of our book is Beyond UFOs, The Science of Consciousness and Contact with Non-Human Intelligence. And that was co-edited by myself, Dr. Rudy Shields, the professor from Harvard, and Dr. John Klimo, the professor at Brown University and author of many paranormal articles. And so, um, and again, I'm giving more than half of our book for free. Uh, people just need to send me an email, um, and I'll send you chapter one, chapter two, which are the two main chapters that analyze the data, and that's over 300 pages, okay? Wow. And then I'll send you a couple of other chapters from our book and an academic research article that was published by four PhD, excuse me, uh, three PhD academics and myself, and we published it in the Journal of Scientific Exploration, which is an acad- a peer-reviewed academic research journal where Dr. Jacques Vallée and Dr. Dean Radin and many well-known academics in the field of, of, of uh, parapsychology um, um, have published uh, their academic research. So, uh, and, and my email, just send me an email. My email is info, I-N-F-O, at a greater reality.com. Info at a greater reality.com. And I'll put that in description too, so people can find yes. it. Thank you. Thank you. And if you'd like, I go go on with some of the research findings. You can. Um, look, but look, I'm, I'm happy to have you on. <laughs> I mean, okay. All right. Fantastic. You absolutely, um, like, I got to tell you, I'm watching and le- reading some of your material. Uh, it's it's done this thing to me where I lose sleep at night because I do this. I, I go down rabbit holes. I read and, and and learn as much as possible. And then I find myself in this position with your information where something I've, I was stumbling on already that I, I've already seen a lot of parallels in the paranormal ufology and the near death. Um, yeah. A lot of it having to do with perception. Uh, I've spoken to Steve Murr a number of times about uh, vibrations and different frequencies. And then I'm, I'm now I'm learning you because, again, I'm new to this. I'm new to ufology, right? I've always been fascinated by it, but I've never actually researched it. So this well, is new. Our, our, 
our organization, uh, the reason why we did this study was because um, with our new organization uh, titled CCRI, the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, what it was was the um, previous PhD academics that were involved in our in the Dr. Edgar Mitchell Free Foundation, and we added about 15 more additional academics. And um, most of these individuals, uh, I would say the vast majority of these academics, um, their interest is on consciousness. What is the nature of our reality? And they also have an interest in the paranormal, which we call the contact modalities. Okay, And so we believe that there is a relationship between consciousness and the contact modalities, that all of the paranormal need to be studied as one phenomenon instead of separate and distinct phenomena. Yeah. But we couldn't begin to compare um, the UFO contact with, uh, let's say, for example, um, near-death experiences or with hallucinogenic journeys. Um, uh, people that take ayahuasca or, or DMT or psilocybin, magic mushrooms, whatever, and, and, and the NDE phenomenon, uh, because in the field of ufology, there was zero academic research. Uh, we knew absolutely nothing about UFO contact. All we had were the bullshit studies of David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins. Right. Um, these were individuals that publicly stated they've never met one individual with a positive experience. Okay? Not one. Okay? So, <laughs> and these people were uh, conducted um, hypnotic regression of people that they pre-selected that already were fear-based. Okay, and then uh, just fed them, you know, leading questions, and they set the whole tone of what UFO contact was all about, you know, for the, for the next thirty-five years. Okay, until now, um, but it was all bullshit <laughs> yeah. because we found the complete opposite of what these people were talking about. And again, we're not just talking two people that we, uh, excuse me, two hundred people that they pre-selected over a thirty-year period. Okay, right. right. We're, we're talking about four thousand three hundred people. You know. Um, which were not pre-selected. Um, and so there was no data. There was no academic research on this phenomenon. Okay? So in order to be able to compare the UFO contact phenomenon with near-death experiences, with uh, out-of-body experiencers, with hallucinogenic journeys, with remote viewers, et cetera, et cetera, you need to find out what is going on with UFO contact. Okay? Right. So that's why we did that first study, not because we were a ufology organization. No. Okay, uh, uh, we were not a ufology organization. We were never into ufology. That's why we called our first book "Beyond UFOs." Okay, right. the science of uh, of consciousness and contact with non-human intelligence, because this has nothing to do with nuts and bolts ufology. <laughs> That's what our research findings reveals. Okay, so let me go into some of these research findings, and what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you uh, a broad overview, and then I'll focus on each category. Okay. Okay. Um, number one, what we wanted to find out was whether these experiences were positive, negative, or neutral. Okay. And what we discovered was that these experiences were overwhelmingly positive experiences. Now, that's not what you read on the internet. Okay. Uh, and 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 David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins is the complete opposite. Number two, these experiences promoted a positive transformation of the contact experiencer. What you had is. Um, just like near-death experiencers, these people totally changed for the positive. And I'll go into the details later on. Um, number four, number three, excuse me. These experiences were primarily paranormal in nature. 
and not physical experiences. Okay. Number four, these experiences involve a manipulation of space time. Uh, in other words, that these experiences might be interdimensional in nature, not necessarily physical in nature. Um, in terms of the positive, negative, or neutral, you know, type of questions, what we discovered was that one third of these individuals had an abduction. Two thirds did not have an abduction, but yet the whole field of uh, of ufology sees contact as primarily abduction related. Well, if you take that viewpoint, they missed out on two thirds of the people. Okay, even then, the people that had an abduction, okay, ninety two percent of these people that had an abduction now call themselves contactees and not abductees. Huh. Okay. But I'll go into those details, you know, a little later on. Yeah. Um, um, it, but initially 37% of these people viewed as their experiences as negative. Okay. 37% initially viewed it as negative, but over time, the overwhelming majority of these individuals continued to have, contact experiences with non-human intelligence. And then, uh, for example, 40% of these individuals had more than 20 experiences. Okay? Right. 40, 40%. And then um, between uh, 10 to um, um, to 20 was another, you know, you know, like 30%. So you had like 70% of the people had 10 or more contact experiences. And we also found out that the more experiences you had, the more positive was your response, your answer. Right. Okay. Um, and um, eventually, uh, only 4% of these individuals viewed their experiences as negative. That's it, 4%. You know, Ray, to add to that, so some of the people I'd spoken to that are, are contactees or, are, or abductees or whatever, maybe experiencers overall, yeah. um, I find the ones that tell me that their experience was negative were alpha type people that were in control. Uh, like some of these would be like military people or even people that are high up in ex people that have control that don't like to relinquish control are, seem to be the ones with the more negative experience. Other people that uh, they say initially it was a negative, but when they come to realize what was going on, it became just Tuesday to them and it would, they had no pushback, no, no reason to report. You know, I wonder how many go unreported because some of these people are like, well, it's just, it's Thursday and, and they're here to visit and that's that. But yeah. do you, do you well, find that though? A lot of people in pow power positions of life, they're the ones with the most negative pushback. Well, we didn't ask that question. Huh. And in, in our interviews, uh, we didn't ask those questions. And in the open-ended questions, we didn't ask that. Right. Uh, the only thing I could say is what our data reveals. Okay. I see. Uh, but uh, the data reveals that uh, when they were taking their survey, uh, many, many years after their experiences started, it was just 4% viewed it as negative, okay? Um, not that initially they didn't have uh, negative experiences. No, they 37% initially viewed it as negative, okay? And I'll go into those details later on. Okay. Uh, fi finding number six was that 50% of these individuals were brought to another uh, multidimensional reality, okay? Hmm. Um, these experiences were overwhelmingly positive of, of these 50% of the people. I had that experience. I was brought to another reality where I was taught spiritual lessons, okay? That was overwhelming the type of teachings that took place. Spiritual lessons about cosmology, the nature of our reality, and spirituality in the afterlife, okay? And these realities were very similar to NDEs, that what people stated that time stopped, that uh, time doesn't exist, okay? Um, 
Also, these individuals were, were shown visions of humanity's, pa humanity's past and humanity's future, namely that we're heading towards a path of self-annihilation if we don't change as a species, okay? And, um, and that was finding number six, that 50% uh, of these people were brought to a matrix reality. Um, uh, finding number seven is that 50% of these individuals reported a UFO-related medical healing. Okay, and as I said before, if you send me an email, I will send you chapter six of our book, which was um, 10 case studies of individuals that gave us their documented medical records of their medical healings. Chapter six was written by a retired emergency room physician, Dr. Joseph Burks, and as well as Preston Dennett, who you might know who he is, he's written over 25 books uh, dealing with ufology. And um, so this was 50% of the people, you know, just like our dog, I told you, was totally paralyzed. Right. And this energy being appeared and then put me to sleep. My wife disappeared in front of me. The dog disappeared in front of me. When I woke up, the dog was running around the entire living room fully healed. Okay. Well, I'm not the only one that that happened to. 50% of the people. Uh, one of the individuals um, uh, is now public with her medical healing, uh, Kathleen Martin. Yeah. Have you interviewed her before? Yeah, I've had her on a couple times. She's really, she's, <laughs> she's giving me some real in-depth information. Okay, well, that's very in-depth. She's listed on Chapter 6, but when we wrote the book, she wanted to be anonymous because she felt that it would take away from her credibility. Right. Okay? And, but yet, she, was, she had chronic fatigue syndrome. Okay? Um, also, she publicly came out, uh, 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 she just published a new book title from abductions to spirituality okay yeah. just like whitley streber whitley streber set the agenda with david jacobs and bud hopkins all about abductions how negative it is and now he's mr love and light okay his last three or four books have all been about spirituality okay right and about and about uh, uh the afterworld and about god and uh in his recent interview i heard him say he prays at night to god uh, and he gives thanks to God and, and to his visitors, quote unquote, because they gave him spirituality and they gave him the ability to communicate with his deceased wife. Okay. So th these two individuals, Whitley Streetman and Kathleen Martin, are just an example of individuals that initially viewed the experience as negative, but now, now they view it as highly positive, highly transformative. Okay. That's what our data reveals. Not the bullshit of David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins, okay? Right. All right. Well, you now, know, Ray, a lot of that is, too, so yeah. these guys that put that information out there, I think some of them have an agenda. I'm not saying all of them, but the majority seems to have an agenda. Like, Because if, you, if you're telling human beings that there's other beings out there and, and they're, they're you know not only not evil, but they might be spiritual and they could help you, there's a lot of pushback from organized religion, government's not, this is all control factors, right? You're taking control from large groups of people that are very used to having control. So I think a lot of that information put out there is just to kind of keep the information that you're bringing at bay a little bit. Make sense? Well, I understand that perspective, but I think these two individuals that I mentioned, Jacobs and Hopkins, right. I think they initially entered it from a deeply biased perspective, fixed bias perspective. But yet I've met numerous individuals that um, when they went to Bud Hopkins, okay, they, uh, he would tell them, look, and found out that their experiences were not negative. They were either neutral or positive. 
he would respond by saying, look, I'm very, very busy. Maybe you need to see Leo Sprinkle. Maybe you need to go to see Barbara Lamb, <laughs> you know, right. Be- because they had a totally different perspective of the phenomenon. So you had these individuals that were pre-selective of who they wanted to work with. Oh, uh, I see. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, uh, Bud Hopkins' ex-wife, okay? Right. They were married for 10 years. Um, she wrote a, an article several years ago where she described all, all the BS that went on with Bud Hopkins' regressions. She videotaped many of his regressions. And she wrote a whole you know article, uh, like uh, I forgot how many pages it was, but like almost 20 pages about what went on uh, with this man. You know, and and uh, where he was pre-selecting people, you know, and so it it wasn't. It's not Ray Hernandez that's saying this. This is his ex-wife right. <laughs> that video videotaped many of these sessions, and then also on David Jacobs' interviews. You know, like three different interviews, he stated, uh, recorded. That's on YouTube. That he's never met now one person that had a positive experience. Okay, huh. so th- that tells you everything. The agenda of these people. Yeah, okay. I mean, I don't. I'm not even a public figure like these guys, and I met plenty of people who had positive ones. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So that, that just tells you, you know, that it's all, you know, misinformation and disinformation, as you said before. Yeah, I know? mean, like you know, one of the the few people that were again. That's why I brought that point up earlier. The few people that I'd spoken to on my off, you know, I do a lot of interviews again off, off podcast. The only two negatives I had, one was a a, a sergeant in the police, and another one was a, a a veteran of the military. And both of these are very alpha men who don't want to be controlled, or you know, yeah. they're, they're so to relink to give away their control in a scenario that's beyond their power. I could see that being negative, but that was the only two I came across so far. Well, man, we had a hell of a lot of people that viewed their experiences as negative. But what happened is the vast majority of these people only had one or two experiences. That's it. Okay. The overwhelming majority continued to have experiences. And then later on, the nature of their experiences changed and their viewpoint of their experiences changed. For example, they said, okay, I, uh, I was uh, paralyzed. I had these three little beings doing a medical inspection on me, uh, but I was scared shitless, excuse the French, okay, no when, this was, when this was taking place. But then later on, they began to explain to me what they were doing, okay, which was they were checking me physically uh, to see if I had uh, uh, any issues, medical issues with me. And then uh, later on, they began to be very friendly with me. Many of them communicated with me. They said, we apologize if we, you know, if we hurt you. That wasn't our intention. And then all of a sudden, these other types of beings, normally human-looking beings or energy beings, appeared to them and began to bring them to other realities and to give them spiritual teachings. Okay? So the, the, the perception of their early experiences changed. And the actual experiences that they continued to have were very different. In many of the cases, they would start with these uh, uh, these small graves, but then later on, it's other beings, no, uh, mainly the energy beings and the human-looking beings that they begin to interact with. And that's when, you know, the spirituality was introduced to them. Um, but let me just finish the last point here. One was um, that 80, uh, the uh, number eight, uh, that was 85% of these individuals understood that there was a relationship between UFO contact, the paranormal, and the spirit world. Okay? Major, you know, finding right there. Right. Relationship between UFO contact, the paranormal, and the afterlife. Now, let's focus on finding number one. We want to find out whether these experiences were positive, 
negative or neutral. And we asked over 40 different questions to address that topic. Why? Because depending how you phrase a question, you'll get a different response. Okay? Right. And we asked a straightforward question. Okay? Many, many people attacked what we were doing and say, oh, we ask leading questions. We ask biased questions, you know. <laughs> and so let me ask you whether this question is a leading question or whether it was a biased question. Okay. So let me ask you the question. How would you describe your experiences? Were they positive, negative, or neutral? Yeah, was that a leading question? No, there's nothing leading about that. It's multiple choice. It's multiple choice. Right. It's A, B, or C. Okay, and it was fixed choice that you had to answer one of those questions if you want to continue with our survey. Well, lo and behold, what did we find out? 66% said their experiences were positive. 29% viewed their experiences as neutral. 5% viewed their experiences as negative. Huh. Okay, so again, you know, these people that attacked what we were doing, um, for example, there was a very, very famous ufologist, probably the number one um, noted ufologist that's on all invited to all the ufology conferences has been on all these TV shows, you know, on ancient aliens and all that garbage that's put on TV, right. you know, he on every show. Okay. This guy's not even a scientist, doesn't even have a PhD, doesn't even have a master's degree. Okay. And yet he said that what we were doing was woo woo science, whatever the hell that means. <laughs> but, but yet, we had the scientists, okay? We had the physicists. We had the, uh, the neuroscientists. We had the, the people that were conducting research in parapsychology. You know, uh, um, uh, we had uh, uh, one other man is a PC in information sciences, you know, which is data, statistics, and computers. Well, okay? you, know, you know what's happening, Ray? Is that somebody, like that guy probably, like when you're yeah. on a lot of these shows, you start out genuine, right? And then you start getting attention. And once you start getting that attention, you're like, you got to, you got to make something more of it. And that's well, why I hate watching those shows that are in a it, room. It, like, it's unbelievable. Right. This guy is very, very well known. His name is Richard Dolan. Oh, okay. I, yeah. I, okay. I've, I've heard of Richard he, Dolan. He also said that David Jacobs is the best researcher in terms of UFO contact experiences. David Jacobs, who said that he's never met one person that's had a positive experiences. He says he's the best. He's number one. Okay, and also a year ago, he came out with a book titled The Alien Agenda, as if he's researched the alien agenda. Okay, <laughs> he's never done any research at all about the alien agenda. Okay, we're the ones that did the formal academic research on the alien agenda. So that's just an example of all these con artists that are circulating in the field of ufology and the BS that they've been circulating. Yeah. Okay. Well, there's so, a lot of money in it too, right? There's oh, unsung, he, yeah, this person makes a living out of that. Yeah, I mean, there's you know? there, there's some unsung heroes out there that and you followed you like like Cheryl Costa and her data. It's an yeah, amazing yeah. amount of data. In fact, that's who who brought me to you, Cheryl Costa. Yes, yes, and <laughs> and, and and Cheryl does not make a living out of this. No, okay, no, she she uh, just compiles real raw data. Real raw data, correct, correct. <laughs> let let me continue with this. Yeah, um, continue. Another question is just an example of you know, positive, negative, or neutral, okay? Uh, we asked another leading question, okay? Because that's how we were attacked. Uh, oh, you, you guys asked tons of leading questions. Well, here's the other so-called leading question, <laughs> okay? If you could stop your ET contact, would you? 
Is that a leading question? Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. Well, 84% said, no, don't make it stop. Keep it coming, baby. Keep it coming. Yeah. Listen, a leading question is when they're like, hey, when you saw the alien, where was like there's they're they're putting it in your head, in your mind that you saw this, right? That's it's a little different. Like what you're asking is I feel like the questions you, you have are something you would find at, a, at college, you know, when you're entering into a study. <laughs> this is yeah, the same. It's, it's it's it's, you know, straightforward. Right. And so 84% no, don't make it stop, okay? Another question that we had, okay? Do you believe that ETs are bad, malevolent, or evil? Because that's what you hear all the time on the internet, right? right? And by David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins. Well, guess what? 91% said no, okay? So these three questions that I just presented are just examples of the more than 40 questions that we asked where the, the experiences were positive, negative, or neutral. We also asked questions about the different types of beings that people were seeing. We found out was that over 40% of these people said other. It wasn't one of those 12 beings that you put up there, right? It was something else, okay? Right. Also, what we found out was the number one type of being was not the small grays, was the energy being. 1,305 people, well, that was out of... Um, um, out of three, when we took the collection at 3,500, okay? Right. But anyway, at that point, it was 55% of the people said energy beings. Human-looking beings, 52%. The short grays was 51%. The spirit or the ghost was 47%. How did you okay? discern the difference from the spirit and ghost and the energy? Well, we had um, like a definition to each one. Um, the, the ghost was like a humanoid looking figure, oh, I see. Okay. but that was like translucent that, uh, uh, that would appear in a, a ghost-like or spirit-like form. Okay. The energy being had, did not have a humanoid form. Okay. Right. And, um, so what we found out in terms of the percent that viewed it as negative, the short grace was 10 and a half percent that had the highest rate. Well, I, it, that makes sense because, you know, Ray, real quick, let me give you a theory I have yep. on the grays. Yep. But, I, but but only 10.5% viewed it as negative. Right. But yet, if you go to the internet, it portrays it like every one of these experiences were negative. Oh, that's because it's fascinating and it's also misleading and it makes it easy to control, right? That's unfortunate. Yep. Yep. But, yep. So yep. for me, the grays, I think the grays are a, uh, an advanced biological robot that's being rented by other the, the our actual observers are renting these little robots out for other beings say look these are our our probes they get out there and do the, they're they're reliable this is a new 2022 model uh, i think those are just the robotic ones and it's probably why people feel negative because when you're an advanced robot you don't you don't show emotion on your face you know you're just there observing scanning so i could see those having some of the negativity um, as far as the other beings go, yeah, I, I, I would understand people not thinking them to be negative, especially if they're not coming back, you know, physically harmed in any sense or another. Yeah. yeah. Well, what we found out was that, uh, that rate of 10 and a half percent was the highest, uh, negativity with the exception of the reptilian beings. Ah. The reptilian beings had 20, only 23% negativity. Okay. Right. The, the overwhelming number was neutral. That was 60%. Just like the short grays, the short grays had 
as neutral, okay? But when we looked at the open-ended questions, the people that had reptilian experiences, um, and mind you, this is not three or four or five people that have reptilian experiences. This was 644, okay? Yeah. This is a hell of a lot of the people, okay? So we looked at what they wrote out, the details of their reptilian experiences, and what we found out was not that um, these reptilian beings uh, was actually Barack Obama, the Queen of England, or it <laughs> ate their child and raped their wife. No. What we found out was that 23% said it was negative because these people were frightened of their physicality. Right. And the reptilian being was commonly portrayed as seven to eight feet tall, um, like 450 to 500 pounds, had the body of Arnold Schwarzenegger. It had um, uh, dressed in an outfit like, um, uh, like a crocodile, <laughs> okay? Right. It had like cat-like eyes, you know? Um, and, and most of the time, they appeared very close to the human the human. Okay. It wasn't like at a distance. No, it was like almost right in your face. Okay. Right. So when they would appear, all of a sudden people would be, you know, crapping in their pants. Okay. And so the, the, those, this is data. Those are hardcore facts. Okay. Not all this bullshit that's being circulating on the internet. Okay. Yeah. Um, and we did have like three or four people said that, oh, he raped me, you know, uh, he made me, you know, uh, come like 40 times when he raped me. You know, th those answers out of like 644, those are called outliers, you know, right. and they don't match anything else that you're getting. And so the outliers and statistics, you throw them away. Okay. And um, so that was a, a, another major finding of even the different types of beings. Uh, people were saying that they were not, you know, majority negative. Well, it was because of the physical appearance. Yeah, it's human nature. Like, listen, when I was a kid, yeah. when I was a little kid in Brooklyn, the superintendent of my building had a big afro, and I was terrified of him. So someone told me his head was going to explode. So, <laughs> so that's for people, right? We Because at first appearance, he's this big, tall guy with an enormous head. So I'm terrified of this guy. Not until yeah. I speak to him and you find out it's a hairdo. But that's the nature of humans. We, we, we're very visual, which also yeah. makes us kind of judgmental. It's kind of sad. But yep, yep, yep. That's, I, I think that's where that dwells from. Yep, yep, exactly. Not in agreement. Uh, the other major finding in terms of the detail of it was that these contact experiences resulted in a positive transformation of the experiencer. Um, in terms of um, um, uh, our data, we got our data from uh, the questions that we asked to get to this. We, uh, I called Dr. Kenneth Ring because in 1986 he had published a book titled The Omega Project. Near-Death Experiences, UFO Encounters, and the Mind at Large. And what he did, uh, this he asked over 400 questions. His book was a statistical research study. Kenneth Ring was a professor of psychology at the University of Connecticut. He's now in his mid-80s. He's been retired for several years now. And um, what he did was one of the first statistical research studies um, uh, where he compared UFO contact experiencers and near-death experiencers. And at that time, he was the one of the leading researchers on near-death experiences. Um, um, it was him and Dr. Bruce Grayson were the two leading academic researchers on NDEs, okay? So this man was, you know, a full-tenured professor, uh, and he was encountering many people that had NDEs that also had UFO abduction experiences. And he saw how these people were having similar transformations. So he asked 70 questions, and what he found out was that depending on the question asked, 
between 75% to 95% change uh, um, towards the positive in, in the different questions that were asked. So, for example, we had this question, how did UFO contact change your life? Well, 51% said highly positive change. 22% said slightly positive. So right there, you had 73% that had a positive effect on changing their life. In terms of neutral effect, that didn't have any change, was 17%. In terms of slightly negative effect on their life, 6%. And highly negative effect on changing their life was 4%. So again, this is, you know, data. Right. Um, we, um, we had this question. Since my first UFO contact experience, and then we asked various questions, and the responses were strongly increased, increased somewhat, had not changed, decreased somewhat, and strongly decreased. So let's look at what increased, either strongly increased or increased somewhat, okay? Um, my desire to help others, okay, 75%. My compassion for others, 80%. Huh. My appreciation of the ordinary things of life. 74%. My sensitivity to the suffering of others, 78%. My concern with spiritual matters, okay, increased by 83% of these people. So 83 of these per, uh, percent of these people begin to have a greater spirituality. My desire to achieve a higher consciousness, almost 90%, okay, my appreciation of nature, 84%. My spiritual feelings, 83%. My concern with the welfare of planet Earth, 85%. Wow. All of a sudden, they became tree huggers, okay? Yeah, I mean, My, that's all. Un, I mean, I could go on and on, okay? Well, I mean, to example that, um, just by what I'm hearing, there's a lot of people that when they go on, like for the first time, they go out on safari or they observe nature, yeah. something happens to them. They care about animals more. They care about the planet more. So whatever's happening with these people, it's a it's a form of enlightenment that's that's making it, you see it's, things it's, it's an awakening. Uh, that's right. what all the, the experiences via the contact modalities. It's an awakening of, of humanity uh, to understand that you are an eternal spiritual being, okay? And that doesn't happen overnight, okay? Right. That takes place over many years. Uh, now, uh, let me, I want to also take a look at what decreased. Okay. Okay. So what decreased was my concern with material things. Ah. All of a sudden, they didn't care about, you know, my new Mercedes Benz every year. You know, Let, right. let's drive that old Honda Accord. You know, if it still works. Okay. Right. Uh, my interest in organized religion decreased. My competitive tendencies, all of a sudden, you don't stomp on your um, a co-worker so you can get the promotion. Okay. My fear of death decreased by 83 percent isn't that crazy i'm okay. glad listen i'm glad you said that because eventually i'm going to go out and do a documentary and i'm going to do yeah. it because it's going to be about everything the paranormal uh, ufos everything if i go out there and i see a ghost i'm going to feel way less uh, uh, my mortality is never going to be questioned again i'm not going to worry about it it's going to be the least of my yeah. concerns i know there's something else so i could see that well the last one category of decreased is my desire to become well-known, to become famous. Right. All of a sudden, that's not important in life anymore. So what you had, just with this little sample, that we asked over 70 questions, 
was you had these people radically changing, okay, in their worldview uh, in numerous categories. And two examples that I mentioned before, and I'll say it again. Uh, Kathleen Martin, her worldview when she was young was um, her uh, work on alien abductions, okay? Right. Uh, she wrote the book Captured, the Benny and Barney Hill UFO experience, okay? So again, she started off as one of these people viewing the alien abduction phenomenon, um, which a lot of people viewed it as highly negative, okay? Right. Recently, she published a book titled Forbidden Knowledge, A Personal Journey from Alien Abduction to Spiritual Transformation. Okay, so she's just an example of the thousands of people that took our survey, how they totally changed. Another person, Whitley Schreiber, okay, he set the agenda, the tone for UFO contact with David Jacobs and Bud Hopkins when he published his book, Communion, you know, a book that described, you know, anal probes and that these experiences were highly negative. Okay, and now look at his last book. Okay, The Afterlife Revolution where he writes about his communication with his dead wife, okay? Right. All about spirituality, God, and the afterlife, okay? That's yet another example. So this is what's taking place in the field of UFO contact, okay? Um, Let's talk about the matrix reality. That's got my full attention. Yeah. Okay, yeah, the, the, let me just touch one more topic, yeah, yeah, the power, the, which is of your interest, which is that um, UAP contact experiencers have had primarily paranormal and not physical contact experiences, okay? Right. And um, um, so uh, let me go into that. Um, goodness, I, I had a PowerPoint up, but let me go. Okay, out-of-body experiences, 80% of these people had them. Near-death experiences, 37%. Medical healings, 50%. Telepathic communications, 78%. Being brought to matrix reality, which I'll talk in detail in a couple of minutes, okay? Yeah. 50%. Past life memories, 66%, okay? Have seen a ghost or a spirit, 76%. Have actually communicated with a ghost or a spirit, okay? Um, uh, 61%. Have seen small colored orbs, 67%. Um, have seen an A-port, which is a material object that mysteriously just appeared right in front of you, 25%. Have had uh, objects fall or suddenly move around you without any reasonable explanation, 61%. Um, can see or feel energy auras around people, 74%. Okay, so um, um, in terms of communication received, from non-human intelligence. 75% that said that the communication was in their language. Same thing if it was French or in our German survey or in our Slovak survey or French survey, the same thing. Huge, the overwhelming number said, yes, they communicated in my language, okay? 61% that imparted reassuring messages. 54% were given a message about spirituality. 54% were given a message about love or oneness. 45% uh, told them about humanity's behavior and future, that we might be killing ourselves as humans. 42% received information about advanced technology, uh, physics, or science. Look at that, huge number, 42%. Yeah. 
39% received an environmental message about planet Earth. 31% received a message about God or our creator. Okay? And now, in terms of abductions versus non-abductions, like I said before, uh, one th only one-third had an abduction. Okay? Now, let's look in terms of this contact of a matrix reality. Okay? Right. 50% of these people that took our survey said that they were brought to another matrix reality. That happened to me. I won't give you the details because I'll take a whole show to describe that experience. Okay? <laughs> but basically, I was driving my car, and all of a sudden, I'm not in my car anymore. In the middle of a traffic jam. Okay, and I was taken outside of space, outside of time, because when I was, uh, it felt like I was out there for like for thirty minutes, uh, being shown all these, you know, the consciousness and and the nature of our the contact modalities, that it's all one phenomenon. Um, and then when I was brought back, I was still in my car listening to the same radio interview on public radio station, and not even a second was skipped. Okay. Huh. So, um, but we asked this question of the 50% that were brought to a reality. okay? We asked the question was uh, uh, numerous questions, and then I'm just going to give you the percentages. Was your consciousness separated from your body? Like in my case, 67% said yes. Were your senses more vivid than usual? 76%. Did your thoughts speed up? 57%. Did you encounter a mystical being? 79%. Did this reality, this multidimensional reality, seem real to you? 84% said real. Okay? Did you have a feeling of peace or pleasantness? 74%. Did you see or feel surrounded by brilliant light? 52%. Uh, did you perceive that time did not exist? 71%. Wow. Okay. Uh, did scenes from the past come to you? 37%. Did time seem to speed up or slow down? 76%. Wow. Uh, uh, did you feel a sense of harmony or unity within the universe? 69%. Okay. Did you suddenly seem to understand everything? And that's what happened to Edgar Mitchell when he was in, out in space. He had a samadhi experience where he seemed to have universal knowledge and just as quickly was taken away from him, okay? Well, 59% that took our survey said yes. When I was in this matrix reality, I suddenly seemed to understand everything, huh. okay? Now, did scenes from the future come to you? 41%. Did scenes from the past come to you? 31%, okay? Now, in terms of the medical healings, as I said before, 50% of these people stated that they had a miraculous medical healing. If you send me an email, okay, to info at a greater reality.com, I will send you chapter six, which is our 10 case studies of um, UFO healings. But we had 50% uh, of these people that stated, that wrote out the details of their medical healings. Now let's talk about sp uh, spirituality. Did you have any questions about the matrix reality? Yeah, I, in, in the matrix reality, did it was it like a three D experience or was it uh, something more two D? Like when you're looking down, something like you would look down upon. I mean, well, people saw it like as if you had an out of body experience, right? So, or like, as if you've had a national travel experience, sort of like that that picture with. Um, 
what was that Academy Award winning artist uh, that Carl Sagan wrote the book Contact? That oh, movie, yeah, Contact? yeah, yeah, Contact, yeah. It, it was very, very similar to that, okay, where you're like in this 3D reality where you're having um, information being conveyed to you telepathically, okay? Huh. It wasn't like mouth-to-mouth like in that movie Contact, okay? Right. And, and um, you knew that you weren't on planet earth okay but yet you still hide your senses okay well, you, you so, know th- that being yeah. said so i mean what puts my mind is this I, the different information people give about their their messages their positive negative if you're gonna if we if i if we were gonna go to another planet and we saw that there's something going on there we would want to give information to different individuals we we feel can utilize that information not just yeah. give everyone the same information right and that's what i'm starting to pick up from this yeah, well, what it is is that um, these experiences are very, very similar to like an astral travel experience, okay, right. or to an out-of-body experience. Um, uh, and I'll go into those two different phenomena. One, um, uh, the clairvoyance with the um, out-of-body experience with remote viewing, that deals your consciousness being separate from your body, but you're still... Uh, perceiving it, your reality within the three D material reality. You're still on planet Earth, right. okay? You're, you're um, like like the remote viewers. They're still on planet Earth. Their 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 consciousness might go to uh, a secret, um, you know, Russian military base, that sort of thing. You know, to, right. it operates to, in a parallel. In a parallel, but it's still the what you're seeing is the 3d reality of planet earth you know um um uh, or if you decide to go to the moon or another planet you're still within that 3d reality now astral traveling and um um, and some of these multi-dimensional experiences have that additional combination is that uh, uh is very similar to like astral traveling where your consciousness has gone beyond the 4d um reality of of uh out-of-body experiences and uh remote viewing okay right. and you're going into other non-physical realities okay i hope i'm explaining it yeah okay? i mean as i here's how i hear it right so yeah. uh, for listeners that, that aren't grabbing it so when you look at a cosmic web i said this a lot it looks like fiber optic cables connecting everything and the, your consciousness, which I think is also your soul, you know, it's your, it's yeah, yeah, same well, thing. How, whatever you want to describe it. Right. Yeah. And so that could travel through the cosmic web, you know, virtually any direction it wants at, at any rate of speed it wants, because yeah. I just recently learned that uh, 5% of the space is the, the baryonic matter. Uh, 25% is dark matter and like 70% is dark energy. So there's this enormous amount of energy connection out there. So, for speaking of parallels, matrix, or, or outer body experiences, there's connections to everything. We just can't perceive them. And that's what it comes down to is perception. Yeah. I mean, um, we've had at one time five PhD physicists in our organization. Okay. And I received a lot of training from them. <laughs> um, and one thing I ha- did not realize was that even an atom, if you look at the distance, you know, um, with the size of a, of, of, um, of a neutron right. and the electrons, it seems like the planets in our solar system. Okay, it's like here is planet Earth that that might be um, a, a, a neutron, and all of a sudden Pluto is the closest electron that's floating around. Okay, yeah. that, that those are the distance in space. 
but yet when we you know are taking a uh, a, a chemistry class or a physics class you know uh, uh, we're not taught these things and we think that these objects are very close <laughs> you know uh, to the inner uh, uh, mechanisms of 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 of, of, um, of the atom but no there are great distances so there are large areas that there's no matter associated with it okay right but um but uh what what i was attempting to describe before is that these individuals that are brought to these uh, other realities okay um s- most of these realities can be described not typical to an out-of-body experience or uh remote viewers okay um or you know uh, uh, cl- uh, cl- uh clairvoyage uh where where people are being uh, your consciousness is being brought to a physical plane you know uh, the earthly physical plane these people's consciousness have busted through that barrier which i call this um that barrier uh, uh um uh, the first barrier is our 3d reality which is what we perceive via our five senses okay and that's uh, what cognitive neuroscience tells you okay then the next barrier on top of that is the barrier uh that i call 4d reality that's where you have the people that do out of body experiences the people that have, uh are able to do remote viewers uh the people that uh that uh, uh, do traveling but within this 3d reality so um but once you bust that that reality which i call the 4d reality then you're into other dimensions that cannot be considered you know planet earth you know or physical reality uh you've gone into uh a hierarchy of other realms um there's different terminologies that people use depending if you take it from a more metaphysical approach um you know higher densities uh to me it doesn't matter what you call it but what it is is that you're not your consciousness is not any longer in this 3d reality or in the 4d reality like you're having an out of body experiences um also traveling is all of a sudden like uh preston dennett um you need to be able to interview him he's uh, uh, not only a, a brilliant researcher in the field of ufology and the paranormal he's also a major contact experiencer and his major uh, mechanism for having experiences is astral travel uh it took him many many years to learn how to control his out of body experiences but then once he learned how to control his out of body experiences then he began to try to um um self impose um uh astral travel where he would break out of this material 4d reality of an out of body experiences and go into other dimensions and and uh he finally was able to do it and now he pretty much can 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 do it fairly easily and once he breaks that realm it's all of a sudden if he wants to talk to his mother he'll just yell out mama mama and boom his mom appears to him you know holographically right and uh, and he can create a scenario where he's interacting with his mother and that's or his, what's or his mother can create his mother's consciousness can create a scenario to interact with him What's Preston's so, last name? Uh, Dennett, D-E-N-N-E-T-T. You can look him up on the internet or on Amazon, and you'll see he's had over 25 books that he's published. All right. I'll check him out for certain. And, and he's a, a great uh, interview. And so the astral travel is very similar to what these individuals are having, where they're being brought 
to these other matrix-like realities. It's very much like astral traveling. But the experiencer did not initiate it for the vast majority of these cases. It was non-human intelligence that initiated Okay, right. let me give you an example so your audience members can understand. Okay, I have a very close friend in Miami. Okay, uh, no one knows about him. Okay, but yet I consider him the top four or five of the major contact experiencers that I've met, and also through our research study. He's had some unbelievable experiences, he's had everything in the kitchen sink, <laughs> but yet. His wife is a PhD psychologist. His daughter is a PhD psychologist. And he is retired DEA federal manager, not agent, manager. Wow. Okay. He was responsible for the whole Caribbean area for many years. And um, I know because I've seen his plaques on the wall. I have his book, um, um, his latest book, which is titled uh, Chasing Dictators. Okay. He was the one that brought down Manuel Noriega from Panama. Oh, wow. And also um, baby Doc Duvalier uh, from Haiti. So, I mean, he's the real deal. You got to connect me with him. I would love to have him on the show as well. Oh, he's, he's not public. He's not public. Oh, he's not I, can, I can connect you with other people that are yeah. major contact experiencers that you yeah. can interview. And so, anyway, um, Alberto told me a story. Um, uh, all of a sudden, he's watching TV on his sofa. Many experiencers start like that. And he, and he calls me. Uh, he said, Ray, uh, guess who showed up? you know, in front of my TV the other day. Uh, I said, well, tell me, because he's always telling me stories, right? Right. So Zeus, I said, what do you mean, Zeus? <laughs> he says, well, I don't know what to describe him, but he was a, a, a human-looking man. He was like seven feet tall, had muscles like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Um, he had a super long beard, um, and uh, he was wearing like a Greek tunic. And so he looked like Zeus. So in my mind, I said, here's Zeus. God's coming to visit me. So he said, Alberto, you've been thinking about death lately. He says, there's, you know, there's no need to fear death. Okay. And all of a sudden, gave him a near-death experience. Okay. And during that whole travel, this being was with him that Alberto could see him, you know, physically with his eyes, you know, and, um, and then brought him to a matrix reality and was teaching him all about, you know, when you die. Okay, in the spirit world, okay? And then, all of a sudden, after he gave him that lesson and brought him to this matrix reality, boom, Alberto's back in his sofa watching, you know, uh, the, the, the late show, you know, with Johnny Carson or something, you know? <laughs> yeah. And so he's had many experiences like that. And, and But yet, that's an example of being brought to a matrix reality, where it's not like an out-of-body experience where you see your dead body and your, excuse me, your sleeping body underneath you or... You're floating around your neighborhood and things like that. No, no, this is it's much more closer to like an astral travel, much more closer to a near-death experience where you're being brought to these other realities. Huh. Yeah, I wonder if they they allow you to see them as what you feel is explainable, right? Because, all right, for, for, well, for example, here's, yeah, if, yeah, one, go ahead. If, if one shows up to me, maybe it comes as Luke Skywalker. Right, because that's that's, that's exactly what's taking place. Okay, the, uh, this phenomenon. Okay, and again, you follow. He doesn't talk about this because all these clowns that orchestrating uh, ufology conferences they they see what we're doing as woo woo science. Okay, <laughs> because right. ufology for so many years has totally banned anything that was paranormal related, anything that was consciousness related. 
But yet, you know, as I said before, we've got the PhDs. They don't. Okay. Right. Our, our new book has over 25 PhD scientists. And hopefully we'll have some time to go into the, the new book. Uh, but um, uh, what was the question that you asked? No, you, totally... you, you should, well, about the, uh, what, how we perceive them and what they. Oh, yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Correct. Yeah. What we're seeing are actually holographic projections from another reality. And um, in terms of the types of beings that people are seeing, we documented thousands of different types of beings. You know, um, uh, we just had 12 in our survey. But when people were asked to write out the different types of beings that we're seeing, it was like almost everything. Even a big, gigantic booger, you know? Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, you, you know, there was w one person that wrote like a big, gigantic booger uh, that was like three feet wide, was hanging in the corner of her living room, telepathically communicating with her, okay? Um, the, this very famous contactee, uh, uh, Mike Cleveland, who actually was one of those people that went to Bud Hopkins, and Bud Hopkins said, oh, I'm a little bit busy, you know, maybe you ought to see Leo Sprinkle. Why? Because his experiences were not negative. So Mike Cleveland has seen tons of different animals, large animals, like especially owls, you know, six-foot owls. Um, there was another major Academy Award winner, and I spoke to the man. He's very, very famous. Uh, he's a, a producer. Uh, three years ago, he won Best Picture, okay, or four years ago. I forgot what it is. So anyway, I'm talking to him, and he was telling me that his wife was in their bathroom, ba walked into the bathroom, and sitting on a bathroom vanity was a six-foot owl with legs like a human, and his legs were crossed, hmm. okay? And so that's just an example. Right. People are seeing everything in terms of the ufos same thing people were seeing everything outside of a of of a, of a flying saucer they're seeing everything like in my case every time i call down a quote ufo you know uh, they've had all different physical appearances but the vast majority of them were non-physical only one time was it a pure cylinder large cylinder like a good year blimp uh, silverish in color um, um, the first time I realized was this, when I called down a UAP and all of a sudden this huge object appeared 30 feet on, on top of us, of my daughter and these three friends, my friends tried to begin to explain it away because it was not physical. It was um, a hundreds of oblong streaks of light that formed the whole skeleton of this object. And inside was all this white plasma. So when my friends came in the middle of, of me watching this, uh, two adults and their 17-year-old daughter, they began to try to explain it away. Okay, they said, right, what the hell is this? I said, you know damn well what it is. No, it can't be, it can't be. So after like two minutes of like really crazy explanations, I busted out laughing. And in my head, I communicated to this intelligence. I don't call them beings. I call it to this intelligence. And I said, you better come up with some better shit than this because my friends don't believe you. <laughs> so instantaneously what I was watching totally disappeared. And now it was replaced by like a hundred stars, huge stars that were inside this object where that object was. Okay. And they were all blinking on and off, on and off, on and off. And they would take turns powering up like the size of the moon. So it was a totally different uh, visual display. So they got rid of the old stuff instantaneously replaced by something new. Okay. So it's like a holographic projection. It's like, okay, you know, uh, what we gave them was not good. Let's get rid of that crap. Let's throw something else. Yeah. You know, if, if so, you if you look at the human brain under MRI with contrast, it's literally the most complex computer on planet Earth, and it definitely looks like it has the ability to be receptive, right? 
And so that being said, I feel that some people just have a download that other people don't, right? And they they can perceive things that other people can't. That's what I'm starting to get. That's the feeling I get anyway. Well, what cognitive neurosciences teaches us is that consciousness begins and ends with the brain. Okay? Once we die, consciousness dies, and that's it. Okay, but the whole field of of near death experiences, of out of body experiences, uh, astral traveling, remote viewing, all of this phenomenon, especially the NDE phenomenon, teaches you that consciousness survives your physical death. Okay, um, the numerous near death experience stories, where, uh, like for example, Dr. Eben Alexander, who is a Harvard uh, Medical School professor of neurosurgery. His brain uh, was like mashed potatoes, totally eaten up by a bacteria, okay? Right. Uh, his uh, 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 brain waves, I forgot the, the terminology that they use for that, were like pretty much non-existent, okay? Um, numerous other individuals um, uh, I've described very similar uh, damage to their brains, okay? Uh, or they were literally dead. They had uh, no neural um, transmission from their brain and no heartbeat. The heart wasn't pumping at all. They were dead for a very, very long time. But yet, these people were having very vivid, very conscious experiences via their NDEs. They went into details. And some of these experiences lasted for hours, days, and in my father's case, 20 to 30 years. Okay. (laughs) Um, but so that's why cognitive neuroscience, these people, um, it's, it, that's the old paradigm right. of the nature of our reality. Well, that was my biggest fear for a long time yeah. is that my brain, so I always, I view the brain as a computer and yeah. before, you know, learning what I've learned currently and getting more involved what I'm doing, I was always afraid that when you died, the computer turned off and I was it. And then everything here just mattered nothing. And I'm a pretty nostalgic person. I would hate to think everything I did here mattered for nothing right yeah yeah well the brain is the computer but you're for your 3d reality right okay but consciousness is independent of the heart or the brain okay all you need to have had is an out-of-body experience where all of a sudden you're floating above your body you're seeing your body underneath you and you're like what the hell is this you know so like that you know that consciousness is totally separate from your physical body Okay, that's the a classic example right there. Okay, I agree. And, I, yeah. I I have this idea, and I don't, it's in previous podcasts I've spoken about it. That when I think Earth is a, a proving ground, I think there's many Earths and many different uh, you know uh, universes, right? And so when you die here, your energy either recycles, right, or you know you come back here because you didn't do things so great here, so you recycle and you got to start over again, or you did things really amazing here. We need you again, recycling your back, or your energy goes to the next plane, right? Yeah. Well, let, let's get into the spirituality aspect of it. Sure. Um, um, people were, were taught lessons about spirituality. Um, and then I'll get back to your question, okay? Okay. 90, 97% believe that non-human intelligence can travel to other dimensions. 91% believe that there's a grand plan in motion and that experiencers are all part of that grand plan, just like what you've been talking about, okay? 89% believe that there's a connection between non-human intelligence and the paranormal. 83% that there is a connection between non-human intelligence and the spirit world or the afterlife. Now, in terms of messages that they were given directly by non-human intelligence, 31% were given a message about God, 
Okay, that's one out of every three people. Right. 30% were told about the death process in the spirit world. 28% were told where they are from. 26% were given a message about reincarnation. Okay. Now, in terms of what the researchers in our organization believe, we believe is that the experiencers of the contact modalities, and uh, I failed to define what that is, the contact modalities. It's a term that I coined in 2013 based upon the paranormal out-of-body experiences I had when I was brought to a matrix reality while I was driving my car, okay? Um, um, I won't go into the details of that, but basically what I was shown was that all of the paranormal is actually one phenomenon and needs to be studied as one phenomenon, and that right now humans are studying that as separate and distinct. Okay, all the UFO UFO folks do not believe that NDEs have anything to do with UFOs. The NDE folks, you go to their uh, national conference of the International Association of Near Death Studies, which I went to. What the hell does UFOs have to do with NDEs? What the hell does out of body experiences have to do with NDEs? Okay, what does remote viewing have to do with NDEs? Same thing with you go to a a remote viewers, you know. uh, national conference outside for of a few people they'll say the same thing what the hell does you know ufos have to do with remote viewing you know on and on and on and what we're arguing the academics in our organization which is 25 academics okay excuse me 20 academics and five medical doctors uh that all of them need to be seen as one phenomenon okay now what we believe is that what we're encountering with that these are holographic projections, that instead of the term multidimensional, we prefer the term interdimensional. Why? Because it talks about consciousness. Interdimensional experiences are experiences involving consciousness, okay? And you interacting with our multidimensional reality, okay? Multidimensional people still view it as a physicalist uh, phenomenon, which is physical, but in another dimension. Okay, but when you get into interdimensional, then now you're talking about consciousness. Right. Okay, and um, so for example, uh, uh, in ufology, probably the most famous researcher in ufology is uh, J. Allen Hynek. Okay, in uh, the very beginning, he was hired by Project Blue Book to totally dismiss UFOs. Okay, after many years, he realized that holy cow, UFOs are real; they exist. But he still had a materialist perspective. But towards the end of his life. He said that the inter, uh, the UFO phenomenon might be an interdimensional phenomenon based upon consciousness, okay? And that was just until the very end of his life, okay? Now, Dr. Jacques Vallée, um, who was um, pictured in that movie, uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, he was the French guy in that movie. Right. Uh, I consider him the father of modern ufology. Um, he took over what J. Allen Hynek was moving towards over. And 40 years ago, Valet uh, said that uh, he did not associate UFOs as part of one integrated phenomenon. Uh, uh, excuse me, as um, uh, that he now saw UFOs as part of an integrated phenomenon involving all the um, the uh, 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 everything the contact modalities. Right. What what, what he said, and I could quote him on it. He said. I will be disappointed if UFOs turn out to be nothing more than visitors from another planet. Hmm. And and when when someone asked them, I said, could they be, you know, um, uh, 
beings from another dimension. He said, I think that the UFO phenomenon is teaching us that we just do not understand time and space. Okay. Right. And he said, here we have um, um, physical uh, uh, objects that are physical. They interact with humans and yet are capable of manipulating time and space in ways that go beyond what is our understanding of physics today. So uh, he clearly saw them from a totally different perspective. Okay. And that's the perspective that all of the members of our organization, of our new organization, the Consciousness and Contact Research Institute, we believe that all of the paranormal, which I call the contact modalities, and now that term is being used much more frequently. Um, people are borrowing that term. Um, um, and, and they're saying that it's all one phenomenon. Yeah. And now some of the commonalities of, the, of these contact modalities of near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, UFO contact, remote viewing, uh, people see ghosts and spirits. Uh, number one is that there's telepathic communications that are taking place among all of them with non-human intelligence. And the communication is taking place in their native language. Okay? Oh. With a near-death experience, you have telepathic communications. You don't have people communicating mouth-to-mouth, -mouth, you know, lips-to-lips. Okay? Right. With UFO contact, the same thing. All the beings that are communicating with these individuals in UFO contact is telepathic communication. Now, one person has said it's, they're, they're moving their mouths and they're talking to me. No. Same thing with out-of-body experiences and astral traveling. And even people have had remote viewing communication. The, the communication has been telepathic and it's in their native language. Okay. Um, the other topic is associated as medical healings. The whole NDE phenomenon has medical healings all over the place. Same thing, just like UFO contact. With NDEs, people are being shown visions of the future and visions of the past, just like the UFO contact phenomenon. I already talked about the total personality transformation. That involves NDE experiencers, UFO contact experiencers, people that have seen ghosts and spirits, out-of-body experiences, okay? Also, all these phenomena involve being taken to a matrix reality, okay? When you have an NDE, by definition, you're brought to a matrix reality. 50% of the UFO contact folks, experiencers, are brought to a matrix reality. By definition, out-of-body experiences, astral traveling, remote viewers are being brought to another reality, okay? Hmm. Another dimension, Okay. Also, all of these individuals, after they have their initial experience, all of a sudden they begin to have a vast array of paranormal experiences, okay? Near-death experiencers. If I had a dollar for every near-death experience that later on saw a deceased person, okay, I would have my, my, my pockets full of, right. of cash. You okay? know, Ray, real quick, what, what, yeah. what I'm getting from, like a light bulb went off in my head, by the way. Yeah. I'm hearing you speak. So... Granted, we're biological here on Earth. We have biology. We're, we're flesh and bone. But our yeah. consciousness is a, a raw form of energy. And now when you're speaking of the matrix reality, it makes me wonder if our consciousness is put in place and then goes back to a server, right? Exactly. You got it. Bingo. You won, you won the lottery. You won the grand prize. You won the grand prize. That's, okay? <laughs> that's exactly what's taking place, okay? Huh. Uh, with the near-death experience, okay, um, what, what's, I, I'm good friends with many of the major NDE researchers, 
as I told you before, I started with Dr. Kenneth Ring, okay, back in uh, in the year 2014, it was, okay, right. where he allowed us to use 70 questions from uh, his study, okay, uh, the Omega Project. Um, and Kenneth Ring, as I said earlier, was uh, one of the top two academic researchers on NDEs. He was also one of the early co-founders of the International Association of Near-Death Studies, okay? Dr. Jeffrey Long, who is uh, um, up there among the top five NDE researchers, okay? Um, he has been conducting academic statistical research of NDE experiencers for over 20 years. He's one of the co-editors of our new book, okay? Mm. And um, also, I'm good friends with Raymond Moody. Okay, the founder of NDE, the term NDEs. Okay, and um, and we also have an article being published in our book by um, uh, Dr. Grayson, uh, Dr. Bruce Grayson, who is a tenured professor at the University of Virginia um, in their School of Medicine. Okay, and um, and also John Alexander, John Alexander. Um, PhD uh, uh, um, wrote his dissertation on the afterlife, became a president of the International Association of Near-Death Studies. Okay, So these are all major people that have researched NDEs for many, many, many years. And um, what they all have told me was that when we die, our consciousness gets brought to this other reality where we're greeted by the consciousness of deceased souls, mostly deceased relatives. Um, one out of every four people has what is called a life review. That means they're being shown the their life. They're being shown... All the data attached to their energy throughout their... All their the data, energy. correct. Yeah. It's all data that was being stored, okay? And then uh, several people that wrote chapters in our, our book, which I'm going to tell about in a couple of minutes, they talked about who they were. For example, one was a medical doctor. Her name is Dr. Melinda Greer. I can mention her name now because she just recently retired. Okay, And so what she wrote in, in her article was that all the data of who she was, Dr. Melinda Greer, when she had her near-death experiences, was uploaded to like a central database. Okay? Because what, what God is, is is everything. It's the central consciousness data set. An architect. Um, right. it, it's like we're living inside a virtual reality, okay? Right. And this is the, 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 the computer programmer behind, you know, all, everything, okay? And so when we die, we rejoin God. We rejoin the central database. Um, we also have an article by Dr. Tom Campbell who's a physicist. I'm not going to go into too much detail about it, but he goes, uh, the, the, he wrote a chapter for our book, um, and it's all about us living in a virtual reality and exactly about what I'm conveying and what you just raised, okay? How our uh, consciousness, our individuated units of consciousness of our life's experiences here on earth gets uploaded, Okay. And so uh, later on, after uh, uh, we remain as part of God for a certain period of time, we are not Dr. Melinda Greer anymore, which is individual units of consciousness without a reference to a life, 
we might understand that we've had numerous lives, right. okay, right. Uh, in, in the past previous to that. But all of these NDE researchers hypothesize that consciousness then uh, reincarnates again for another journey, another experience, okay? So then when we die, we bring that experience back to the mind of God, okay? Dr. Ian Steven, Stevenson was a professor of psychiatry at the University of Virginia School of Medicine, okay? Back in 1962, the president of the university said, look, the inventor of the Xerox machine, okay, uh, wants the, uh, or has left in his will, okay, to the University of Virginia, millions of dollars, but it has to be towards studying the afterlife, ah. okay? And so he says, I forgot the exact amount, I'm just throwing out a number, but let's, for example, okay, here's $50 million in 1962, okay? Um, we heard that you have an interest in the paranormal and the afterlife. Would you be willing to take this money to do research on it? So Eon Ste- Dr. Ian Stevenson, who was a professor at the School of Medicine, okay, psychiatry, said, yes, hell yeah, I'll go for it. So he, over time, he started to do research on reincarnation. And he published, I know of two major books, maybe there was a third book that he published. It took him many years to get going. But these are academic research on the uh, phenomenon of reincarnation. Okay, with like thousands of case studies. And um, right before he passed away, I think two years before, he hired another PhD psychiatrist, another medical doctor. He brought him into University of Virginia School of Medicine. Um, By then, he had about five or six PhD academics. And the institute became known as the Institute of Perceptual Studies. Okay. And out of the University of Virginia. So uh, this new person that he brought in, uh, Dr. Uh, Jim Tucker, um, took over the work of Dr. Stevenson after he died. Okay. And he also wrote uh, uh, one book, maybe two books on reincarnation. Okay. So what I'm telling you is directly from all of these NDE researchers. Okay. Um, so uh, uh, that's what I believe is going on. But again, this is, if, if these ufologists call us what we're doing, woo-woo science, imagine of what I just told you, you know? Well, yeah, but, I mean, it, here's what I look at it. Um, yeah. We here on Earth right now, let's break it down to, to grounded science that people can kind of understand. Yeah. When you have fiber optic cables and you send uh, a signal to one computer to something in the server, it's using energy to send out information. So when you die, the, the energy, your consciousness slash your, your, um, your soul, whatever, that has the data still attached. So when it goes back to the server, yes, it's, it'd be cleaned and it gets a new body. Again, like that whole recycle thing. But yeah. so, there are some cases where people, like that kid, I, I always go to this kid. I read the story. It blew me away. He spoke in perfect detail about his him being a, a pilot in World War II in, in great yes, detail. very famous case. Right. Yes. So that being said... Like energy that you have, like your computer. If you wipe your computer clean tomorrow, you think it's clean, but the data is still there somewhere. It can be found. And I think this kid's energy, I think his data was still somewhat attached. And that's how he remembered his previous life. Well, doctor, uh, as I said before, we're going to have in our new book, uh, the article by Tom Campbell. Okay. Okay. And we don't have enough time to go into details about Tom Campbell. 
but believe me, this guy's the real deal. Um, he was uh, one of the early scientists that worked with Robert Monroe at the Monroe Institute to be able to research and to document the out-of-body phenomena. Okay, so he got the point where he was able to control his OBEs, and then he began to control his astral travel experiences. And then him being a physicist that worked for um, various um, 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 companies that were researching advanced weapon technologies, okay, right. for the arms industry, um, he was able to do controlled physics experiments out of body. Okay, and he eventually uh, wrote a book titled My Big Toe, My Big Theory of Everything, which is um, his presentation uh, that we live in a virtual reality. But in that presentation, he also says that consciousness is primary, that he had solved the unification theory of physics, and that all of the com contact modalities, which is what, what I'm talking about, need to be studied as one phenomenon. And I'll send anyone that sends and email to me his chapter so you can read it. But another point I want to make is that Dr. Edgar Mitchell wrote uh, what I consider his magnum opus, his most important writing. That article um, uh, is titled The Quantum Hologram Theory of Consciousness. Uh, that article was only published in the Journal of Cosmology, which is the physics journal of Dr. Rudy Shield at, Har of, at Harvard. Okay, And even though it was published in a physics journal, um, it was written for the non-physicist, but it's still difficult to read. It wasn't easy because it was couched in physics terminology. Okay, Now, that article describes um, what is called non-local consciousness, how human consciousness is able to interact with what Edgar calls the zero-point energy fields. Okay, and is able to download information from our reality. And that explains the ESP phenomenon and also various forms of telepathy. For example, precognition. Uh, let me give you a couple of examples. Okay, after my wife uh, had all these major contact experiences, her ability to have precognitive events. Um, was was tremendously increased. For example, um, she would say, no, we're not going to go on that trip, that long trip, because the engine's going to blow up in the car. And I'm like, you know, I already bought the tickets for the hotel, for the <laughs> conference, you know. And no, no, I'm not going to go. The engine's going to blow up. Well, a week before, I said, what the hell? Let me bring it to a mechanic, because she's not going to go unless, you know, I get the car checked out. Expecting that nothing was going to happen with the car, right? Because right. she knew the mechanic is a friend of ours. Anyway, this friend of ours, who was the mechanic, said, thank God you didn't take that long trip, right? Because the whole engine would have exploded. And these are the reasons why. Boom, 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 boom. Okay? Um, so my wife knew what was going to happen in the future. Okay? That's called precognition. It's one of the main areas that's being studied for numerous years in the field of parapsychology. Okay? So Edgar Mitchell wrote about how that takes place, the mechanism which is all physics, it's advanced physics, okay? But you try to explain it uh, for the non-physicists. That's going to be an article. And, and so that whole mechanism of information being stored, and he said, like, the way you can think about it is you can think about it, like, in the ancient mystical texts, they talked about it as Akashic records, okay? But um, uh, Rudy Shields 
this was the first one to describe many, many years before uh, uh, Stephen Hawking that black holes were information storage devices. Okay, they store information, and so he and Edgar got together because uh, Edgar understood that human consciousness can retrieve information, and Rudy's saying is that at the local level, at the um, 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 at at the um, uh, 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 galaxy level, okay, right. B- black holes. Each major galaxy has a black hole, okay. Uh, usually at the center of it, but a major black hole. And what Rudy was able to understand and to research and to document in over 300 peer-reviewed academic journals, okay? He taught at Harvard for 45 years. So um, he said that Stephen Hawking was completely wrong about black holes, that black holes are information storage devices, and on and on and on. Well, guess what? Years later, Stephen Hawking admitted he had been completely wrong about black holes. And but yet, people accepted um, uh, Stephen Hawking because he was much more well known uh, than uh, Rudy Shields. But Edgar Mitchell described the phenomenon of tapping into these storage devices, how humans are able to tap in. And a common way of thinking of it is the Akashic records, how we're able to tap into the Akashic records. Okay. And um, so. you know, now do you say that, you look at the, the, yeah. the galaxy and a black hole at the center of all of them, and that's information, right, uh, being said, yeah. and, and how it spreads outward to the planets and stars. It's like there is a center of there, an, an architect, right? I keep saying it's like a, a, a source of energy. God, just call it. Just call it God. Yeah. You know, it's the, yeah. Un, the universal mind. Yeah. Right. And so it's dispersing this information outward to all the different. It's like a, a chip. If you look down at the, at the galaxy, it reminds me of like a really complex, large chip. So it's interesting. It's it's definitely fruit for thought. It's given me a lot to think about. Well, that. I mean, all of the ancient mystical traditions talked about oneness. We're all one. Yeah. Everything is all interconnected. Okay. But what it was is that these concepts came to be totally dismissed by modern science because this was, you know, um, mythology, okay? Right. That, uh, uh, but yet almost all of the ancient mystical texts talked about the same thing, okay? And um, so, but yet, what does quantum physics teach us? The very same thing, okay? Um, let me give you a couple of, um, of quotes from some of the early quantum physicists, okay? And this is important for people to understand that... Um, um, that this is not woo science. This is actually hardcore physics, okay? First of all, the concept of materialism, which is the total opposite. Our approach is a post-materialist view of reality. Materialism is the idea that matter is the only reality and the belief system that the mind is nothing but the physical activities of the brain, okay? Now, a post-materialist uh, approach, okay? A post-materialist approach of, uh, of our reality uh, says is the total opposite, that the mind can exist separate from the brain, and that consciousness is the key to understanding the nature of our reality, and also the contact modalities, okay? And um, uh, a couple of quotes, okay? Um, okay, hold on one second, and I'll get that for you, okay? Max Planck, okay? One of the founders of quantum physics, Nobel Prize winners in physics, and I'm quoting him. He said, I regard consciousness as fundamental. 
Now, is that woo-woo science? Or is that real freaking science? Nobel Prize winner of physics. He says, I regard matter as a derivative of consciousness. We cannot get behind consciousness. Everything that we talk about, everything that regard as existing postulates consciousness. Okay? He's not the only one. Eugene Wigner, again, one of the founders of modern quantum physicists, also a Nobel Prize in physics, said it will remain remarkable in whatever way our future concepts may develop, that the very study of the external world led to the scientific conclusion that the content of the consciousness is the ultimate universal reality. Again, Nobel Prize prize winner in physics. Okay. Well, those are great quotes. <laughs> Sir John Eccles. Okay. Nobel Prize in Physiology and Medicine. Nobel Prize. Okay. Physiology and Medicine. Sir John Eccles. He said, quote, I maintain that the human mystery is incredibly demeaned by scientific reductionism. In other words, the nuts and bolts approach with its claims to account for all of the spiritual world in terms of patterns of neuronal activity. In other words, that everything begins and ends with the brain. This belief must be classed as a superstition. So he's calling, okay, materialism a superstition. (laughs) Okay? He says, we have to recognize that we are spiritual beings with souls existing in a spiritual world as well as material beings with bodies and brains existing in a spiritual world. Now, again, this man won the Nobel Prize in physiology and medicine, okay? And um, same thing with Erwin uh, uh, Schrodinger, you Nobel, know, too, Prize, too, Nobel Prize in physics, one of the uh, pioneers, one of the inventors of quantum physics. The same thing, same concepts. It's like okay. a, to your point too, like a collect, being at a one, right? We all come from a yep. source. And then the idea of collective consciousness as, a, as our being, because I think to have collective consciousness has to be at a spiritual level, right? At some level. Because if yes. you look at um, ancient man, pyramids on one, one continent, uh, pyramids that are on another continent, pyramids that we're finding in China that are buried in whatever they're buried. But the point is these structures, very similar all around the world. And at that time, not that I'm aware of, did they have the internet or phones? How are, you know, so how so similar? There's definitely something collective there. There's no question of that. Yeah, well, that's what we're trying to do with our new book. Uh, let me give you the title of our new book. It's going to be published on June 1st. And I said before, I'm going to be sending whoever sends a, an email to me six chapters from our new book. Okay. Now, the title of our new book. It's going to have, actually, it's going to be four volumes. It's not going to be one book. It's going to be four books, okay? Each of the volumes is going to be over 600 pages. So we're going to talk about tons of information, okay? Now, the the title of our notebook is A Greater Reality, The New New Paradigm of Non-Local Consciousness, The Paranormal, and the Contact Modalities, okay? So... A greater reality, why? Because we live inside a spiritual and virtual reality, okay? We use the term, the new paradigm, because that term paradigm was taken from the uh, the, the book, uh, The Structure of Scientific Revolutions, 
which was published in 1962 by Thomas Kuhn, who was a professor at, at Harvard, at, um, at Berkeley, and at Princeton, uh, PhD in physics also. And he talked about how the evolution of science changes over time via these radical breakthroughs. At first, the idea is totally dismissed by established uh, science. Then it's a little bit more accepted. And then after all these dinosaurs die out, the new generation begins to embrace this new paradigm. And then eventually that new paradigm gets established. An example of that is quantum physics. Okay, uh, Quantum physics took many, many years for it to become established. Why? Because the old physicists were tied to Einstein. And um, they just didn't understand the complexities of quantum physics. Even Einstein himself, until the very end, never really embraced quantum physics. Okay, So that's what we're calling it, a new paradigm. And we said the new paradigm of non-local consciousness because it's how we as humans are interacting with, um, with our uh, external, multidimensional matrix reality and having contact with non-human intelligence via the contact modalities, which are defined as all the ways that humans are piercing the veil of our multidimensional reality and having contact with non-human intelligence, i.e. near-death experiences, out-of-body experiences, UFOs, ghosts and spirits, uh, hallucinogens, via remote viewing, via praying, post-death communications, channeling, energy healing, meditation, um, all of the ASP phenomena, telekinesis, intuition, uh, telepathy, um, mediumship, poltergeist, orbs, etc., etc. These are all phenomena associated with the contact modalities. What we're saying is that, um, that all of the contact modalities need to be studied as one integrated phenomenon under consciousness. Now, the first two volumes of our book are theoretical in nature. Volumes three and four, the last three, two volumes, are chapters written by major experiencers of the contact modalities. These are people that have had three or four different types of contact modalities experiences. And I talked earlier in your show about Dr. Melinda Greer. She's had two near-death experiences. She's seen 12 UFOs. She's had three up-close Sasquatch experiences. After her second NDE, she began to see dead people in her hospital that she works in. Okay? And she's had you know, numerous experiences, uh, ESP-related experiences, where she's able to attract, uh, uh, excuse me, uh, able to, to see visions of the future and when things are going to happen. So this is a medical doctor. Um, and I'll send you her chapter as well. Just send me an email to info at a greaterreality.org. Okay? And I'll have and that so in the description. So if anyone wants to look for it, it'll be in the description. Yeah, yeah. And so the, the categories that we have in the first two volumes, the theoretical uh, volumes, okay, uh, we have, uh, we start off with uh, uh, a uh, prologue by Dr. Jeffrey Kripal. Um, Jeffrey Kripal uh, uh, 
was a professor of religion and philosophy at Rice University in Houston. Rice is like a little Harvard, okay? You need a 1500 on your SATs to get admitted there, okay? Wow. It's, a, a, it's a highly um, difficult academic research institute to get in. They have highly credible, uh, reputable academics that teach there. So Jeffrey is now the dean of the School of Humanities at Rice University. But yet, he's an experiencer, and he's written over 10 books associated with the paranormal and consciousness. So he wrote the prologue for our book. I'm writing the introduction, okay, introducing the whole book, okay? And then we have articles uh, under the category of the primacy of consciousness and the contact modalities. So the focus here is that consciousness is primary, not our material reality. And we have articles by um, Dr. Eben Alexander, who I said before was a uh, professor of uh, uh, neurosurgery at the Harvard Medical School. Okay. We have uh, Dr. Larry Dossie, who's a medical doctor, Dr. Bruce Grayson, and Dr. Jim Tucker were these two professors that I told you at the University of Virginia School of Medicine. And Dr. Peter Storak was, is now an emeritus professor of physics at Stanford University. I mean, and they wrote this uh, article titled Consciousness, was it, What Is It? So, again, this is not woo-woo science. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you, you, have, you, have a, you have an all-star cast, man, with a lot of data. all-star cast, uh, yeah. all-star cast. So we have about eight different articles under the topic of the primacy of consciousness. After that, we have another category titled non-local consciousness, telepathy, and the quantum hologram. And that's, uh, we have one, two, three, four, five, five chapters that focus on Dr. Edgar Mitchell's theory of non-local consciousness, okay, that explains it and elaborates it in, in, in detail. And then we have the next category of near-death experiences, uh, the title of near-death experiences and the survival of consciousness. And uh, the first chapter is written by um, uh, um, a PhD academic that got a PhD from New York University. And she won one of the runner-up prizes for the Bob Bigelow Prize on Consciousness. Okay? She was given $50,000. Okay? Wow. We also have an article by the winner, Dr. Jeffrey Mishloff, who won $500,000. He was the grand prize winner. Okay? And then we have... Uh, an article by Dr. Bruce Grayson, the professor at the University of Virginia School of Medicine, um, Dr. Jeffrey Long, who was one of the co-editors of our book and one of the major near-death experience uh, researchers, and Raymond Moody. Okay, And then we have another category. We have three articles on the category of out-of-body experiences, remote viewing, and consciousness. Okay, And Stephanie Schwartz was the founder of modern remote viewing. Okay, this guy was a founder. He uh, established non-coordinate remote viewing in the early 1970s. Okay, the man is brilliant. He's a genius. He's written hundreds of peer-reviewed publications. I mean, so people understand is, uh, let's put it in baseball terms, you've put together the 1997 Yankees. Together with the other individuals, who made the all-star team in 1997. Right, yeah. So, okay. I mean, the information that yeah. you're gathering and the people you have in your corner, this is for people that want to learn about this subject. This is, You guys, you, you got the team. You know, yeah, there's a guy yeah. named Steve Murr I want to connect you with. I don't know if you've heard of Steve Murr. No, I don't know who he is. So he, like you, believes they should not compartmentalize 
paranormal and ufology, and he thinks these things should be looked at as a whole, just the same as you. Correct. So yeah. I've I've had him on a number of times. If you ever get the opportunity to listen to some of the podcasts I had with I, him, I, I need you to introduce me by email. Yes, I'm going to do that. I'm going to make people. So before we close tonight, because I'm going to connect you with him straight after this, because you you have to have this guy. He's he has amazing think tanks, and I think you guys would connect well. No, no. So before we close and, and, tonight, and, and, before you finish out, yeah. let's just say that uh, the other categories I have are out of body experiences, remote viewing, and consciousness, which is what I just talked about. We also have an article on lucid dreams. We and then we have a separate category. We got one, two, three, four, five. Five different articles on ghosts and spirits and spiritual transformation. Okay. And then we have um, um, and theogenic research, commonly known as hallucinogens um, and, and consciousness. And, and again, we have two articles that talk about once you take these hallucinogens, which is DMT or um, ayahuasca or uh, psilocybin, which is the ingredient in magic mushrooms, 50% of these people are having communications with non-human intelligence, okay? So we've got these two professors. One of them is a professor at a major medical school, John Hopkins University, School of Medicine, I'm sorry, John right. Hopkins School of Medicine. Uh, so we've got two articles that discuss that. And then we have 11 articles on UFOs, 11, 11 chapters, all discussing UFOs from a total consciousness-based perspective. And then we have um, uh, a category titled future research of the organization. I mean, where, where do we take what we're doing to the next step in terms of academic research? And then we've got uh, four articles, which are um, conclusion articles, like summaries and wraparounds. Um, and again, we've got uh, numerous retired PhD academics that are writing these, um, uh, these conclusionary articles. So, again, as you said, this uh, 1997 Yankees yeah, plus the <laughs> members of the All-Star team from both the National League and the American League in here, and it's a total radical paradigm that we're presenting. Agreed. You know, I mean, so I'm going to have to have – I'm going to end up having to have you on a lot for each chapter because there's so much information. There's just so much. I mean, yeah. so we're definitely going to talk in terms of having you on again. Um, for those that want to know, where, where can people find you? Like if they want to like listen to lectures or anything like that? Well, um, given the t nature of the work that I'm, that I do, uh, I'm not invited to UFO conferences. Okay. Right. <laughs> One of the few organizations that I was recently invited to was the Arkansas UFO conference. And that was because that was sponsored by the daughter of Dolores Cannon, um, and uh, so uh, myself and Dr. John Alexander, um, uh, he's a member of our organization. Uh, we spoke about consciousness and UFOs, but all everyone else that spoke there were all these nuts and bolts folks. Right. Um, and so, you know, I've, I've never even been contacted by uh, what they call it, the International UFO Conference, whatever that they have in, um, in Arizona, Phoenix, you know, any of those folks, because... Uh, I don't deal with ufology, okay? Right. Um, and, and so uh, 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 the NDE experiencers as well, you know, I don't deal with NDE research. It's like a totally new paradigm. I'm going to have to invent my own conference so I can invite myself to talk. <laughs> well, what I'll do, here's what I'll do for you. I'll have you on pretty frequently. Um, we'll pick different subjects each time. So this way, because I'm sure people are going to have a ton of questions. There was a lot of information on just this one podcast. I mean, oh, I, I mean, it's, it's, I, I, right, right. I, I, hand, you said, yeah. I handwrite notes though. And I'm over here filling up page after yeah. page. So, 
That being said, we're going to say goodnight. I'm going to talk to Ray in post and get some things scheduled up. And I'll, everything Ray had noted, I will put in description so everyone could find it. So once again, my email is info, I-N-F-O, at a greater reality.com. And I will send you numerous chapters from my two books. Excellent. We'll talk soon. Thank you.